no fun banter today. Uh-oh. No fun I have to banter. Rant. <laughs> I have to say something. Okay, so. You hate ranting. I, no, 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 no. I love ranting. Um, it's, a, it's a very therapeutic part of our podcast for me. Okay, so. Last two weeks, I was doing a spooky house blessing sort of case. It yeah. was resolved. Things are good, as mm-hmm. far as we can tell. Delightful. Okay, good. But in the course of this, I just learned a little bit more about, you know, what my diocese does. And basically, there are priests who work on this stuff, you know, quite often. Right. That, you know, on a weekly basis mm-hmm. are battling the extraordinary work of the enemy. So, it all just kind of hit me all at once that we've got, like, the church, even our, like, little diocese, is battling the extraordinary forces of the enemy. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the diocese, people are losing their minds because they might have to go to a different place for mass. <laughs> and something about that dichotomy just is driving me crazy. Aren't they kind of both all, demonic? Yeah, they are. So all the caveats, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult for people. That makes sense. But all this was striking me, uh, especially Monday and the Monday's gospel, because gospel... Mm-hmm from Monday, February 25th, has a story of Jesus um, curing a possessed person. Right. I think it was his uh, a child that yeah, a had child, been, yeah. Yeah, been thrown into fire and into water and since childbirth. And right? all that stuff. Okay, right. So the disciples can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so they bring him to Jesus. And did, 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 what does Jesus say that made me... Did, did, is it the thing at the end? Why couldn't we no, cast No, not the- just the thing at the end. We'll get to that. Okay. Aha. Uh-huh. So the father says, it has often thrown him into fire and into water to kill him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Hmm. And Jesus said to him, maybe in the sassiest voice Jesus uses in the Gospels, <laughs> if you can, everything is possible to one who has faith. And this is what I'm getting at. And we've talked about it a lot. Do people really believe that Jesus is going to save the church? Do we really believe that everything is in God's hands or do we not? Well, he's already, I mean, he's already saved the church. Right, 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 right. But like, currently now with all the crap that's going on, you know, are we still looking to programs and pointy hats to fix stuff or are we going to trust in Jesus Christ? Now, I know those aren't mutually exclusive things, okay? Right. But here's the thing. He casts out the demon, and the disciples are like, oh, why couldn't we do anything? Why are we such a bunch of losers? And this is my translation. And then he says, this kind can only come out through prayer. And fasting. And what hit me. And fasting. And when I, what's that? And fasting. He says yes, prayer but actually and fasting. In this, well, maybe they cut off the gospel reading, because at the end of this reading, it says, this kind can only come out through prayer. Oh. Yeah. I, um, hmm. But you're right. I remember the, the part you're talking about. Oh, weird. But the whole thing I'm getting at is that both the literal demons and the metaphorical demons that are plaguing the church can only come out through prayer. Right. So if you're listening to this and all you've done so far is withhold your money or complain on the internet or yell at a priest or whatever else, fine, you can do all that stuff, I don't care. But if you're not praying, get out of here. What are you doing? Imagine if all of our people actually just prayed. Imagine if a parish of people just prayed. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to include myself in this mm-hmm. because a lot of times, like, I'm a punk and I do the same stuff. But, guys, I am not kidding 
when I say it's only saints that are going to save the church. Right. And I still get these sassy, stupid replies, people saying, well, oh, no, you can do this. No, you have to pray. You have to be holy. Have we forgotten that God actually does stuff? Welcome to Clerically Speaking. My name is Father <laughs> Anthony. And I'm, I'm Father Harrison. <laughs> Thank you. I feel better. Ah, wow. Um, yeah, I agree. Cool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, <laughs> JD was just on catching JD Flynn was just on catching foxes, kind of saying it's more or less the same thing, right? Saying we need saints to save the church, and that's the way it's always going to be, and that's the way it's always been. And when you have people saying, "Oh, I don't, I don't, I want to do this, I want to do that," and but or I want to have this, I want this right, and that blah blah blah, but which, where's your faith life? Or I'm not going to stop right. coming to church because I don't get my mass time anymore, or whatever it is. It's like yep. where where where's your faith? Mm-hmm. Did you have it in the first place? Whew. And, and this is the thing. People are like, oh, but, but, you know, I'm like, we got to stop. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like we need to kind of stop worrying about chasing people down in a way. Oh, they're going to leave. They're going to leave. Yeah. Do you know what? Some people will leave because Jesus said that the seed is scattered on good soil, on rocky ground, on um, in weeds, etc. There's only one type of place where the good seed falls. Mm-hmm. And the rest, he says, are going to walk away. And I think there's a reason Jesus gives only one example of good seed and three examples of bad. Because when push comes to shove, faith will be lost for a lot of people. It's a scary thing. Uh, it's a scary yeah. thing. You know, I had a really tough and a really frank conversation with a good friend of mine about this. Yeah. And I was talking about some of the stuff we talked about on the podcast about... Mm-hmm you know, reforming the reform of the liturgy and that sort of thing. And this person who's a very faithful person um, was telling me that's not going to get people back. Right. You know, if you have a beautiful liturgy, it's not going to bring people back to mass. Right. right. And I said, well, that's too bad. Like, that's not what right. we need to work on right now. Right. What we need to work on are the people who are here because they are the ones that are going to bring people back to mass. Yep. If they have a deep and on fire relationship with Jesus Christ, they're going to be ones who go out and bring other people. Exactly. And they need to be fed, and we're not feeding them. And one of the ways you feed people is through a liturgy. Yep. That makes sense. That treats God as if God is real. So, that makes God the focus of the worship and yeah. not us. So that's Father Anthony, by the way, and I'm Father Harrison. Yes. Did we say that? No. You were in such a rage, you forgot to introduce who we are. I did, I totally did. It was in the midst of my rage, and you were so blown away by it. I was. I was. Anyways, <laughs> no, but just to continue, I've been reading a book this week uh, by Jean Leclerc. He's a great medieval scholar. Ah, Jean Leclerc. Le, Jean Leclerc. Um, and, and he's talking about this for the monks, and, and it's where a lot of Pope Benedict's stuff on, on St. Benedict comes from, this idea that really during a very um, unstable time, the monks came together for one reason only, to seek God. I, mm. I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but it's really good to reiterate. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, dude, I need yeah. to. Do, I need to do my my pod. I need to do a podcast one day on the real Benedict option. Yeah, no, we haven't. We definitely. Oh, haven't. dude, we okay, should. we'll do that in two weeks. I promise. Okay, cool. Um, but he's talking about this and this idea that during an unstable time, these guys came together and people kind of slowly formed around them, and they came together for one reason: to to pray and to work, to seek God through prayer and work. And that, in a way, I think that's the attitude that the church needs to rediscover. We need to stop. We need. I hate to say it. We need to stop almost being concerned. Being concerned. I say this with all the caveats. We need to stop being concerned with the whole 
uh, oh, we need to get more bums in the pews, or we need to get, you know, some pe- we need to get more people back into the church. And it, because that's always programmatic. We need to leave room for the Holy Spirit to do his work. And the only way you leave room for the Holy Spirit is when you become docile to the Holy Spirit. And the best place to become docile to the Holy Spirit is through his principal work, which is in the liturgy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I think we need just to become like laser focused on Jesus Christ. And, you know, there's other... What were you doing before the podcast? Was I doing before the podcast? Yeah, yeah, just out of curiosity. I'm just curious. Well, I mean, we, just, had a, we had a meeting. Yeah, yeah, no, meeting before, the meeting, before the meeting. Before the meeting. We're just discussing out of curiosity. many exciting things. Yeah, but before the meeting, what were you doing? Just, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. Uh, I was playing uh, I was, I was playing Minecraft. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Just for a little bit, because uh-huh. I was waiting for you guys, and I was uh-huh. playing some Minecraft. La- laser focus on Jesus, eh? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm going to have my holy hour later, Father Harrison. I feel very called out. I feel very small. I feel very humbled. I agree. I'm sorry. I, I built I, a church in Minecraft. At least I helped build a church. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm just giving you a hard time. Ugh. I had to play. I had to use that inf- bit of information somehow. <laughs> so uh, I just got back. I was running late today for our podcast recording because... Um, I went, we have, so we have two. As usual. As usual. Oh, of course. I'm always running. I'm a pastor. I have many, many responsibilities. See, those excuses don't work on another priest. I'm I don't, sorry. I don't have the joy. You're, and you, you may be able to weave your webs for lazy. But against another priest. priest, I know you were just waking up from a nap. No, I don't nap. I hate napping. I, I'm really bad at napping. But that's another thing. No, no, I don't have the freedom and leisure that an associate priest has. I do have a lot of that. I have, I have administrative responsibilities. I need to make sure things are right in right order in my parish. You know. Anyways, so beautiful. It's so it's dedicated. So, I'm so dedicated. So we have two religious sisters who kind of they um, they minister primarily to people on the west west coast, but um, of, of Vancouver Island. But they live in town here, about an hour and a half away from where they minister. So I went there to go visit, to ask them to do something in the parish, and they said yes, but. These two sisters are I got I love them a lot. They're they're great. It's there's something uh, I don't know about you, but there's really always something life giving about uh, have, spending time with religious sisters. Mm-hmm, absolutely, especially especially for a priest. Yeah, I think there's a real beautiful relationship and complementarity between religious sisters and priests. Mm. But these sisters are Filipinos. Oh, so what are they doing in Canada? Do they get lost? Uh we're we're on another island, so I guess they just thought, oh, this must be like the uh, Philippines. Just, there's island hopping. Yeah, there's island hopping <laughs> from the Philippines to Canada. Exactly, it's <laughs> one giant hop. So, <laughs> you've been to many Filipino parties, I'm sure. Uh, I really haven't. Oh, really? Do you not have no. a lot of Filipinos in Pittsburgh? I don't think so. Oh, okay, maybe that's why. Well, if we do, I'm sorry, I haven't met any. So, Filipinos are known for their generosity when it comes to food. Mm. I get there. It's one o'clock, so I presumed. Oh yeah. Well, I've, I had lunch beforehand because I'm like, oh, I'll have lunch before I go. And I get there, the table is full of food. Full of food. There's pizza and there's desserts and everything. I'm like, oh, thank God it's not Lent yet. I'm like, I just <laughs> ate. I am literally full. Father, father, eat, eat. I'm like, I, I can't, sister. My, my stomach is literally full. I would be gluttonous if I ate right now. So they said that's fine. So they put three containers together of food for me to take home. <laughs> Father, you might not eat this now, but you're going to eat this eventually. <laughs> I actually, because I just went to Costco yesterday, so my, my house is kind of full of food right now. and I, mm-hmm. So I actually gave it to my secretary because she's got a family. 
Oh, that's nice. So I thought, yes. So yeah, God bless, God bless Filipino sisters and uh, their generosity when it comes to food. I said to them, I said, when I come here, if it's during Lent and I'm coming here, I don't want to see desserts on the table. <laughs> <laughs> you tell them, Father. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know who could eat a lot of food? Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas. I mean, he was a big fellow. He was a big fellow. So now it's time for Summa Theologica. Summa Tweetologica. Did I not say Tweetologica? You said Theologica again. Now it's time for Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about the Before we go into it, just so you know, yeah. there's a great story about St. Thomas Aquinas around food. Uh-huh. He, uh, he was eating dinner, I think, at, at, the, at King Louis' palace somewhere in France. And he's just eating away. And he kind of pounds his fist on the table. He says, I solved the Albigensian problem. While in the midst of eating, mm-hmm. probably a very good portion, he solved the heresy of the Albigensians. Man. Yeah. Maybe I should eat more. Maybe. I'll come up with good theological thoughts. You'd have to eat a lot. I would. All right. The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Theologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. First up, ba-ba-ba. Let's see. This is from random Catholic chick at Catholic underscore chick one. Y'all have to go to Mass today, and to all of Mass like showing up in time and not leaving before the priest leaves. Yep. Go to mass. Go to- here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. What are your reasons for leaving early? Is it because you think you've fulfilled your obligation and you're done? If all, if you treat mass as only an obligation, that's all it will ever be to you. And you will never grow in holiness. Mm-hmm. The end. Mm-hmm. And... Why are you showing up late? I mean, I okay. Sometimes it's really tough. And I know families where, especially if you have a lot of kids, it's really tough to get people together sometimes. And that's different. I see people though who regularly come in every time for mass, even weekday mass, some people. Mm. Like 15 minutes into mass. Yeah. And it's like not changing. And I'm thinking, what's uh, what's up here? What, what, why are you so... And I, I actually do go talk to people sometime if I notice that regularly I say, why are you coming to mass so late all the time? Hmm. It might be, oh, I just got off work and I come as soon as, okay, that's different than, yeah. oh, it was really, it's always really long for me to get this done. And I'm like, well, maybe you need to reorganize your life a bit to get make mass more of a priority. So, so yeah. if you're, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. And I understand that like for some families, there's like no way you could possibly start your day any earlier and get to mass. And it's just like, it's just always going to be a mess and you're just always going to show up when you show up. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But for some of us out there, you know how much time it takes you to get ready and you're just not getting ready soon enough. So yeah. just, uh... now I say that, I say that I was late for mass. Let's see. I was late for one daily mass and I was like just barely on time for like two of my Sunday masses. Like so... as, as a priest? As a priest. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Just this week. 
So, <laughs> so uh, I actually tweeted this one myself, but I'm gonna. It's actually from the Catholic News Agency, and it was an article uh, uh, that is talking about the approval of the canonization of Blessed John Henry Newman. Yay! And I am. I was so excited when I heard that. Mm-hmm. Have you read much John Henry Newman? I have listened to his autobiography, mm-hmm. and I had to read. What's the one where he talks about how the church dogma changes and stuff? Development of doctrine. No, it wasn't that one. Um, it was the Apologia Privitazio is his body. Essay on the, development the ascent. Oh, um, grammar the of ascent. ascent. The grammar of ascent. Grammar of ascent. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Yes, the illative mm-hmm. sense, folks. The illative sense. Uh, yeah. So. I am super excited about this. Uh, I talked a little bit about him last week in the podcast too because of his role in the First Vatican Council. But uh, I really think he is might even be a doc- doctor of the church one day. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he is the person who has really solidified the idea of the development of doctrine. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I'm just excited. He's going to be a saint. And it's, uh, he, he is someone who I highly recommend to be read in all circles. Yeah. His and homilies are like, fantastic. His homilies are amazing. I never read his homilies, but just like the torment he had to go through and the courage that it took yeah. to convert yeah. in like his position and his time is oof. My so goodness. I'll, I'll give a, um, two things. First, apparently he was a horrible preacher in a sense, like in the sense like he had no style. He was very, <laughs> he was very dry. He would get his sure. text and he would just essentially get up and read his text. But people would come from all over because the the quality of his prose and uh, the subtlety of thought and everything was just something to be behold. That's the first thing. The second thing is just kind of speaking to the, what he went through a bit. I went to Oxford a few years ago, and mm-hmm. I went so where he stayed in between being an Oxford don and becoming joining the Catholic Church is this little kind of farmhouse called Littlemore. And so you can actually go visit that place. It's still held. Uh, there's a group of Belgian nuns who look after it. And so I went there. And it was actually one of the most profound kind of experiences I've ever had. Because they're like, you see that spot right there where the fireplace is? I said, yep, that's where, uh, that's where he knelt to Father So-and-so uh, when he heard his confession. And then mm-hmm. we go into the chapel. We see that spot right there. That's where he knelt to be received into the Catholic Church. And cool. it's really cool, right? Um, he kind of just came to this moment one night. He, I think he was reading a church father, and he said he phoned, he got them to call him the Catholic priest. He says, I need to become Catholic. So he stayed for a couple of days to hear his confession and talk, and then the second day he received John Henry Newman into the Catholic Church. All in that little spot, in that little place. And now he's a saint, so yeah. that place is going to become a really strong place of pilgrimage. Ooh, and, yeah, true. And I always like to say this too. It justifies my large library. He had a library of 20,000 books. Okay, here's the thing, though. Not every aspect of a saint's life is necessarily to be emulated. But this man is known for his intellectual uh, gift to the church. Mm -hmm. And you grow your intellectual gift by reading books. So, no, it's saying, (laughs) what it's saying is I actually have fallen short of his holiness. Because my library, in comparison to his, is just so small. (laughs) I got to get going, and I need to start expanding that library. Uh, okay you've convinced me <laughs> uh next tweet is from andrew hedstrom at purdue apostoli priests 
what are your thoughts on pushing the daily mass homily to after mass, specifically for the early morning? I think it'd be great to help people that have to get to work. So, Andrew, I like where your mind's at. You're thinking, hey, homilies are great, but the actual, like, the, the, the Eucharist part is kind of like the higher point of the Mass, in a sense, mm-hmm. and people need to get to work, and so how can we shorten this? But here's the thing. Several things. One, if a priest tries hard enough... Actually, okay. So, pushing the homily to after Mass, that wouldn't be a homily necessarily. It would just be preaching after Mass. Okay. But if a priest tries real hard, he can do a nice little couple-sentence homily and wrap up Mass in, like, 22 minutes... No problem. Or he can also just, you can omit the homily for that uh, mass. So I think, I mean, this is tough because my, the only early mass that I have is seven o'clock in the morning Friday. The other masses are either at eight or 8.30 for daily mass. Now, if you get to like eight, 8.30, I don't see any working people at those masses. Maybe I'm wrong. Right. Um, So I don't bother like timing myself, it's just not a pressure for me. But for like other people who go to like 7 a.m. masses or 6 a.m. masses, yeah, I think that's something a priest should consider. And then we, so what, Father Harrison, what's your earliest mass you have over there? Uh, on Wednesdays, I have mass at our school in our little chapel at 745. Mm-hmm. But we are a largely retired parish. So yeah. um, we don't really get a lot of working people to mass here. Yeah. The time, you know, we have, we have a seven o'clock on, on, I find a, I find people come to the, we get, if we have working people, they tend to come to the seven o'clock on Tuesday nights. Mm. Yeah. I think we have, we have a one evening mass on Mondays that mm-hmm. have, um, younger people, mm-hmm. uh, who I assume work during the day. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, and part of me wonders, like if my, one of my parishes, one of my seven parishes offered a daily mass at seven o'clock, would more working people come? I don't know. So there's, Yeah. I have thoughts. Um, one thing is people ask for this often. Oh, Father, can you have mm-hmm. an evening mass or can you have an earlier mass? So, because I, I work, I want to go. And priests do this, and then those people never show up. Yeah. I hate to say, it, I've seen it happen numerous times. Yeah. And uh, sometimes priests will do an extra mass for that or whatever because they think it's a good thing, but then people just don't show up. Uh, so, if you're going to actually ask for it, commit to going. Uh, it, it, priests are happy to do these things if people will actually show up. Don't don't just ask for something and then not show up for it, because then you'll then it and then it hardens the priest's heart to want to do things like that in the future when people ask for it. Uh, the second thing is, yeah, like you said, like some days I just don't say anything at mass because I'm like I don't have anything to say today for the weekdays. We're not required to preach during weekday mass, and I keep my weekday masses to half an hour, and I preach for four or five minutes, and that's fine. It's off the cuff or whatever. Sometimes there's the odd time I'll go a bit longer. Like on first Friday, like on Fridays, I find I go a little bit longer. Sometimes we have a larger crowd and, um, but they're all retired. So it's not like they're, they find, I'm, if I kept them there for an hour, they would be, it'd be different, but, uh, right, 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 but right. you yeah. know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a good sentiment, right? And it, it's a good mm-hmm. idea. It's just, and like, yeah, maybe if you're going to have a mass for working people, just don't preach. At that, yeah. That. Make it a mass for working people. Yeah. And all. just don't preach. You don't yeah, have to. Mm-hmm. All right, I am going to go with uh, the. Oh, okay. Oh, we got we got stuff for later. So, um, the great Matt Fish, the great Matt Fish, the great Father Matt Fish. 
<laughs> I have, I mean, we, we've talked about this before. We'll talk about this again and we'll talk about more in the future. I have no problem with ordaining married men. But I see in the questioning of clerical celibacy, the questioning of the value of virginity for the kingdom. Nothing confronted the worldview of antiquity like virginity did. And nothing confronts our modern world like virginity does. Uh, Yeah. 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 This has been my, this is why I'm like, I'm with him. I have no problem with, we have ordained married men. It's not an Mm -hmm. issue at all. The world is attacking celibacy because it doesn't like what it stands for. It says mm-hmm. there is something great than greater than this world that exists that's worth living for. There is something greater than your political order that's worth living for. It fundamentally uh, throws into question everything that you might be standing for. And that's the point of it. And people don't like what it stands for. Uh, right. And we need the sign now more than ever. Uh, Pope Francis has even said this too. He's like, he's he's said something similar to the fact that we need uh, we need celibacy now more than ever. I think uh, John Paul II did a lot to promote the importance and value of celibacy uh, because when it becomes uh, celibacy is saying marriage is good, but God's better, right? And not to say that they're opposed to each other. Obviously, I'm not downplaying marriage. But it's saying there is something more than what is normal to the world that exists. Even I would even say Catholic marriage, right? Because then these same people who go against celibacy also go against the church's teaching on contraception. Why do you have five kids? Why do you have six kids? Right? They go against those families too because they are standing for a Catholic. They're 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 living the sacrament of marriage, and that has a sign value too. That says there is something more than just economic prosperity that's worth living for. Mm-hmm. And we need that now more than ever. And I think as we go into the future, we're going to need it even more. It is hard to live, absolutely, uh, but it's worth it's worth living for. Yeah, yeah. I think along with everything you said, it shows the world. I mean, just to reemphasize what you said. Yeah, yeah it shows the world that it's actually God that satisfies the deepest desires of the human heart. Mm-hmm. It's not any of this other stuff. Um, and when you lose God, you lose that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like, yeah, sure, married priest, fine, whatever. But um, we still need the witness of celibacy. Yeah. And also, oh man, we could get really into this because yeah. we um, should do a I, whole episode on celibacy. Right. Because I'll just say this as a teaser: the priesthood and celibacy work better together than priesthood and marriage. I think. Um, I know married priests; they will say this too. Right. Not like so. You can be a married priest and be very, you know, fruitful and efficacious, but it works better. Mm-hmm. And there's a better way to put that theologically, but we'll get to that when we talk about that yeah. in the episode. Cool. Okay. Let's go on to our Patreon pontification. Patreon pontifications. You support us, we read your tweets. Please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying for our equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as paying producer Nick a just wage for all the work he does. Any money collected that goes beyond that will be donated to the Missionaries of Charity. If you are part of our $5 Pastoral Council tier or a $10 Church Lady tier, you have a chance at having your chosen tweet talked about on the podcast. So, And you have some things. good news for us. Yes, we do have good news. Excellent news. So, first of all, thank you to everyone who donates, whether you donate $1 or even more. And we've had, actually, a lot of people um, donate even more than our $10 tier. And a few donator, a few people have donated um, even beyond that. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we're going to be doing a few things. Uh, one, we can finally um, 
send some money to the missionaries of charity, we'll be sending them 500 American dollars. That's the money that counts, Father Harrison. Okay. That's real money. Okay. Okay. So we're doing that. Gold we is real money. Fin- Thank you very much. You guys have been asking for stickers. We are going to get stickers. <laughs> so if you're part of our um, Patreon thing, you'll be getting stickers just like all the other podcasts that you like listening to. Yep. Okay. So we've got that. And what else do we've got going on? Um, we're looking to do, uh, we're getting our website together. And yes. we're going to be upgrading our, our service soon for podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to get a, va- we're, we're just trying to get our Facebook stuff together. It's just about, it's about a bit about time. We want to make sure when we get the new podcasting hosting, it, we'll be moving away from SoundCloud, which will mean um, letting people know about that and everything. But uh, it'll be cheap. It'll be a bit cheaper and it'll probably actually be a bit more flexible and better about uh, gauging stats for us as well. Um, right. Oh, also, mm-hmm. we forgot to say this. Uh, thanks to all the great listeners, we passed a hundred thousand downloads. Oh yeah, which is kind of crazy. Like, it's a, weird. That's a lot of that's a lot of downloading. Like, a lot of people at least at least downloaded. Hey, and here's the thing, guys. That's a hundred and one thousand hours of podcasts listened to. Like, tell your friends if they don't want to listen to the podcast, just tell them to click play and turn down their volume. Like when they go to bed, just to like keep boosting those numbers, man. Exactly. Just do that. That's <laughs> and there's one more thing I want to say. Oh, forty two hundred days worth of podcasting listened to. That's so much podcast. That's eleven and a half years listened of our so podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. That's insane. Really helping us, uh, Thank you so much. Get our message yeah. out. And then, uh, so so as far as podcast hosting, this means we'll finally be on. Stitcher, because I know a yeah. lot of people do Stitcher stuff. We haven't been on. We'll be on Stitcher very soon. And and okay, we're, and we're so also we, looking to okay. we're also looking at a few other bigger things too. So we want to be able to use the money to help uh, better equipment, etc. Too. So we really appreciate all that. Good. Awesome. Okay. So we're gonna do something a little different for Patreon pontifications. We are um, because I've begun to realize that some people who listen to the podcast and who um, donate to our Patreon don't necessarily have Twitter. Right. And I'm not. I'm never gonna force anyone to get a Twitter. So this is just a thought uh, in tweet form from Mary Claire. She's one of our patreons. Okay. Awesome. So she says, "I work at Northern Arizona University, a completely secular school in a very progressive town. As just about the only Catholic in my office, it is constantly a challenge to find God in my daily life. Driving to work, I find myself combating this struggle by nerding out." to my playlist of completely secular love songs that become Jesus Jams. My favorite is yours by Russell Dickerson. Russell Dickerson. It wasn't intended to be that way, but the lyrics work perfectly as a Christian song. So, what do you think about that, Father Harrison, finding Jesus in secular, peh, 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 Christian, uh, non-Christian songs? I am not against it partially. Like, I'm a big uh, Mumford & Sons fan, and mm-hmm. I think their music actually... Uh, I actually usually struggle with like, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Intentionally Christian music sometimes. Yeah. Because I find it a little sappy and I find secular music can speak to truth about even Christian themes, sometimes even yeah. a lot better than Christians do because they're trying it so hard. I got to fit the name Jesus in here somewhere and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great South Park episode all about this. No, uh, no, 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 no. We're not talking about that one. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course I do. <laughs> um, those, I, but I think I think that's fine. Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, there's there's a lot of great music. Out. I'm not a huge music person anymore, but mm-hmm. uh, there's some really good music out there that can. The the the, the church fathers always would read stuff like the uh, 
the pagan philosophers and stuff like that. They said if it was true, it was of God. Yeah. So that's a principle we should always take yeah. forward. Not only that, if it was true, it belongs to us anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. we belong to the truth. Yeah. So I think that holds not just for philosophy. I think it holds for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I think it comes down to it. If it's, I don't know the song she was talking about. Yeah. Um, Neither do I. I. I think I'm becoming an old person because I was so confused growing up because my dad would only listen to talk radio. I'm like, why don't you want to listen to music? But now that I'm starting to become older, all I want to do is listen to podcasts. Yeah, Does that here. mean I'm an old person or now? Or audiobooks. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, you're almost 30, um, right? I'm almost 30. Yeah, you're you're pretty much about to be old. I'm going to have to start becoming holy pretty soon. You're about to be old. Yikes. Your bones will but start anyway, to ache. Yeah. <laughs> you will start to gain weight for no reason, even though you exercise, even though you exercise five days a week. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. if it's good art like genuinely good art Mm -hmm. then it's not surprising you can find christ in it Mm -hmm. somehow so yeah Yeah, that works cool oh my gosh father harrison yes i am so excited for this week's presbyteral exhortations time out yeah bathroom break yeah okay fine do 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 it's too bad we don't have like bonus content. If we had bonus content, I would probably try to say something clever right here. But no. And, you good? And time in. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, Harrison, like I was saying, I'm so excited for presbyterial exhortations. Uh huh. Because we're going to talk about the thing I've been occasionally tweeting about for quite a while now. Jesus? No, not Jesus. Oh. Uh, uh, wrestling? Uh, no. No? But that would be really fun, too. How Canada's fake? I mean, these are all great things. I like where your mind's at. But we're going to talk about Freemasonry. Ooh. And I'm not talking about fancy stonework, Father Harrison. Uh-huh. I'm talking about Masons, as in the secret society that um, isn't like, you know, people know about Masons, and you've seen their little symbols around, and maybe you know someone who's part of the Masons, Mm -hmm. but we're going to get into what they are and why the Catholic Church says no Catholic can be a Freemason. And now it is time for Presbyteral exhortations oh yes. yes quite good quite good indubitably oh, i bet they can't wait to learn, They're gonna learn so much. it's my favorite part oh, it's oh, the best part oh, yes. Yes. yes quite yes quite. cool so uh special thanks this episode goes to ed condon at Kenan lawyered so i was tweeting some like just jokes about masons i knew nothing really about masons wait wait, wait, but, like, wait, wait, wait. Oh. what's his twitter handle again at Canon Lawyered? No, Canon Lawyer Ed. <laughs> that makes that makes way more sense. <laughs> I like fast tense of lawyer. Get, he, he's you know lawyer. I just love this because now past. finally the pronunciation stuff goes on to you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I have always been bad at reading Twitter handles. <laughs> it is the weakest part of my podcast game. <laughs> at canon lawyer ed yeah, yeah. that makes way more sense yeah. than at canon lawyered yeah wow 
All well, right. anyway, so back to the story. Yes. Uh, just tweeting jokes about, because Masonic plots, I don't care who you are, that's a funny thing to tweet about. Mm-hmm. But then, um, good Ed Condon uh, sent me a DM, and he has written extensively about the whole masonry thing from a canon law perspective uh, as his uh, dissertation. Right. So I started reading this and getting into this, and so that's what we're going to talk about. Cool. Okay. Awesome. All righty. So anything I say that's correct is all due to the brilliance of Ed. Anything that I say is incorrect is all due to my failure. Uh, gotcha. Are we okay with that, Father Harrison? I, I, that's the way I've been acting every time we record, so. <laughs> okay, good. I like it. <laughs> okay, Father Harrison, yes. let's just pretend for a moment that secret weird cults don't exist. Yep. If I were to ask you, what's a Freemason? Do you have any idea what that is? I would say that they are someone named Mason who you you don't have to pay for them. They're just free. You can just take them into your house. Okay. It's a good guess, but it's very wrong. Oh, okay. okay. So, <clears throat> the beginning of this whole Freemasonry thing actually has a connection with the church. Mm-hmm. So, especially in medieval times, people start uh, building new churches. And to build churches, you need masons right you need people to cut rocks and put rocks in place right now there are two kinds of masons rough masons and they just cut big old rocks and stack them on each other i mean you can get anyone to do this okay rough masonry but if you want to stack those rocks really high if you want to form those rocks into fancy gargoyles if you want to construct stuff so you can place stained glass windows in there and do big old arches and flying buttresses and stuff, you don't need a rough mason. You need a Freemason. Okay. These are the skilled workers. Okay. okay. So that's what a Freemason is. Now, Freemason labor is in high demand because mm-hmm. it's a highly specialized skill. You can't find Freemasons everywhere. So basically, your local Freemason could travel around Europe and he could kind of look for the best deal he could find. So he can go, this abbot wants to build a monastery, or this bishop wants to do a thing. Freemasons say, hey, I'm a Freemason, I'll do your thing. Now, these projects would often take the course of maybe even a few generations. Mm-hmm. But it would be hard to get Freemasons to stay in one spot, because if they got offered a better deal, they would just up and leave, right. go somewhere else. Because I'm like, who's going to stop them? Right. There were contracts, of course, but these could be ignored. Also, you can just get a Freemason to come into your town. They don't care about your town. They can just kind of run roughshod and mess the place up. This is a big problem. So, bum, 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 in steps the government. And now, royal charters are given to trade guilds. This is supposed to regularize the fees, the practices, and recognizing the leaders of the trade. So, now you don't have roaming Freemasons so much. You have, okay, this group is designated by the king to say it's a good group they can build stuff here right okay also um these guilds would have to obey certain rules of moral conduct Mm -hmm. so you can't go into a town and mess it up right also you have to swear fealty to the catholic church because Mm -hmm. that's the thing you could do back in the day you know right so they would do all these sort of things and the guild system takes over and the guild system also helped um train new freemasons so you're part of this guild once you're ready to kind of level up and learn more stuff about the masonry trade, you would be taught that. Okay, so this is when the secrecy part gets involved a little bit. How do you recognize if this random dude is a Freemason from your guild? Because they can still travel, but are they from your guild? Secret handshake? You do this. 
secret handshakes. Yes. Exactly, Father Harrison. So fancy handshakes, secret codes from the fancy handshake or the secret code. You could tell if this person was from your guild and how qualified he was, like what level of masonry he was about. Right. So, I mean, that's, I mean, one thing that I think we need to understand about humanity and one thing I've learned more and more understanding about humanity as I've researched this People love secret handshakes because they're just cool. Right. We should secret we should make fun. we should make up a secret handshake. A secret handshake just for Twitter priests. No, no, just for you and me. What? <laughs> That's how exclusive it's going to be. It's super secret. Super secret. You're like, what are you doing? Even though we're talking about got... it right now. <laughs> exactly. So they would use these uh, fancy handshakes to let people know who they were. Okay. So these guilds were established so you would get a steady workforce at a steady price so mm-hmm. that people couldn't gouge you. But because people are clever, they realized, hey, now that we're in this big group, we can function kind of like trade unions, even though they wouldn't know what trade unions were. Right. Um, so they could demand more money for less work. So they became more powerful, more skilled. They could kind of do what they want. Okay. All this is fine, by the way. Nothing crazy. There weren't crazy elaborate rituals, mm-hmm. just some cool handshakes, some passcodes, and building big old buildings and making fancy stuff. Yeah. Father Harrison. Yep. But eventually, things got weird. Okay. Do you know when things got weird? Uh, it's uh, the one thing that's ruined everything. Can you guess the one thing that has ruined everything and ruins good old-fashioned Freemasonry? America? <laughs> Way earlier than America, but not unrelated. Uh, the Reformation. The Reformation. <laughs> the Protestant Reformation ruins everything. Okay. So, first of all, as we are aware, Protestant Reformation brings about lots of violence. Right. Christians killing Christians. Yep. All sides are very bad. This makes a big mess. Because if you're a Freemason and... You've got another Freemason buddy who is Protestant. How are you supposed to work to, with each other? You're supposed to kill each other. Right. This is an annoying thing, right. right? Right. So there begins to be this kind of more, kind of like a secret emphasis that, you know what? We're going to kind of ignore our religious differences because we got to work on stone and fancy buildings, okay? Right. But something else also starts to happen with this Protestant Reformation thing. There's a breakdown of religious authority. And an openness to new religious ideas, mm-hmm. you know, um, and this is a thing that happens whenever you remove the Catholic Church, whenever you remove the Catholic faith. There's almost always, always, always a slip into superstition, right, or a slip into more Gnosticism, because the Church is always fighting against these things yeah. and trying to promote true spirituality. Mm-hmm. So when you've got this break, and if let's say Martin Luther can do his thing, well, why can't I do my thing, right? And this is something you see on the Protestant side as well as the Reformation, um, that you have Protestants persecuting other Protestants because there's more extreme arms and wings of the Protestant Reformation. Yep. So this is happening all over the yep. place. So you get more stuff like a goofy kind of deism. You get more alchemy. You get more Gnosticism. You get more just comic book nonsense. Mm-hmm. Now, one of those things that eventually develops, who I'm going to have a tough time saying this word, Rosicrucians. Okay. Rosicrucians? I'm not sure. I've never heard it before. Okay. Anyway, you've got this group that takes kind of this Gnosticism, alchemy, throws it into a big system. Let's throw in some Eastern symbols. Let's put in all this stuff. 
And so all these ideas start to kind of infiltrate Masonic lodges more and more because they're just in general more open to whatever religious persuasion you come from. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that's going on in Masonic lodges okay. is just this religious part. Another thing that's happening is with the Protestants, they're not so big on the fancy buildings, Father Harrison, yep. right? Right. So there's not quite <clears throat> a market for it. Right. So how do you keep your guild up and running? Hmm. Well, if you open it up to other people who are willing to pay dues, then you can keep your guild and your club going. So it would be opened up to members of uh, the Masons, like family and friends. It becomes more of a club. Okay. Because people who pay their dues and then also more and pe- more people like are drawn to the idea of, oh, there's secret handshakes. Oh, and there's fun mysticism. So it's like Ooh. the first form of Scientology. It's not not the first form of Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay. Like the 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 things that the appeals to Freemasonry, especially in the beginning, I think still now, are pretty universal. This temptation to look for the spiritual outside the church. Right. It's the same thing you find in um, ghost hunting. It's all breaking the first commandment. Right. And we'll get into why this is more like okay. this is more like searching for God outside of who we know God is. Right. Okay. So things just get more and more elaborate. There's this whole pseudo history that the Masons develop. What do you I mean, mean by you that? Have a fun, what's that? What do you mean by a pseudo history? Right. Like that? So if you can have a fun club with fun handshakes and you want to be all mystic, you've got to have a really cool history gotcha. and a really cool mythology behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, me telling you that Masons were just guys who cut stone really good that's not a fun origin story. Right. If you're going to have a great comic book character, you have to have a great origin story. Right. So they started to develop this history, and it was very much connected to the building of the first temple in Jerusalem. Okay. And they have got this like whole story behind um, – they made up this guy who designed the first temple, and he was murdered, so he kept his secrets to the grave, and he was the first mason. And then you know what? You know what every good secret society needs, Father Harrison? They need the order of the Templar. So you got the Templars involved in this too, right? So you say, oh, bring in them too, right? All this good stuff, okay? <laughs> I know I'm playing kind of rough with the history, but this is what's going on. Now, despite all of this, still at, in um, 1723, you still got to believe in God to be a Freemason. It's a requirement. So here's a quote from James Anderson's Constitution of the Freemasons. He wrote in 1723. That religion in which all men agree, leaving their particular opinions to themselves, that is, to be good men and true men of honor and honesty by whatsoever denomination or persuasion they may be distinguished. So the deal is, as long as you believe in God, you keep your opinions to yourself, no big deal. But this is start of this is when it starts to get kind of goofy and when this becomes kind of a no-no for Catholics because one it's saying that religious difference it's one thing to say hey we have a club it's not a religious club it's another thing to say hey we have a club religious differences don't matter that's when you start falling into a little bit of difficulty because religious differences do matter it doesn't mean we have to kill each other over our religious differences but for a Catholic to say that my Catholic faith is just an opinion that I keep to myself that's wrong. We don't believe our faith is an opinion. We believe it's revealed by God. So you're implicitly kind of degrading the faith. And so as things develop, 
God is this grand architect of the universe. This is a very deistic kind of creator God who leaves stuff alone sort of thing that happens. Okay. As things develop, there becomes a split in Freemasonry. So you've got the Anglo Freemasons who are kind of up in England. They have the Continental Freemasons. Now the Continentals, they, because they are more, um, they're, they become, I want to say, okay. So when we, the image of the plotting Freemason who has plots to overthrow stuff and government and church, that comes from Continental or Latin Freemasonry. Latin, not because they speak Latin, but because, you know, Spain, France, Italy, those are Latin countries. Okay. They become more explicitly anti-clerical and more anti-church. They do not require you to believe in God to be a Mason. And more of them are involved in the higher rites of Masonry, namely the Scottish and the Yorkish rites. And we'll get into that more. And this draws more people, more people who are all about revolution, who have crazy religious ideas or no religious ideas. That draws in more of those kind of people. But no matter if you're a Latin or an Anglo, there's still agreement in general in the first three degrees, and we'll talk about that in a moment, and the basic philosophy of Masonry. And the basic philosophy is that really there's one creator, God, um, and Masonry has the best path to him. So not the Catholic Church, but Masonry. Hmm. So That's this, a problem. Right? Why would that be a problem, Father Harrison? <laughs> because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, right. Not some made-up group. Right. So here's the thing. Why can't Catholics join the Masons? It's not just because they're, they plot to overthrow the Papal States. It's because of a few things. Well, one is that they are sworn to secrecy, if you're a Mason, and there's a sort of pledge that is should only be due to the church. Gotcha. You're kind of placing masonry above even the church in your pledges. That if I reveal any secrets, I should be murdered. And you're keeping stuff from the church. No Catholic should be doing that. Okay, so there's that. Also, you're saying that, uh, and this will this is apparent in the rites as well, that masonry is the path to truth. Not the Catholic Church. Right. And that's just so, not true. It's not true. And so you're you are in your actions, just by joining, you're removing yourself from the church. Right. So this is why the church has condemned it. On top of that, you've got also this whole thing with especially continental masonry that actively works against the church. Right. Okay. Okay. We're gonna skip some parts because I could keep going. And let's just talk about the rights and not the rights but the uh ba -ba 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 -ba. degrees the degrees thank you okay so no matter what kind of mason you are most belong to one of the to the first three degrees and this is sometimes called blue lodge masonry and so if you know a mason they probably belong to one of these degrees and a lot of people will say you know it's not that big deal to be a Mason. This is more an excuse to play cards or um, to go drinking with my buddies. Well, first of all, those reasons that I said beforehand, you can't be a Mason. But also, their rights end up being this kind of quasi-sacramental hmm. experience. Okay. It's almost like a replacement 
of the sacraments. Okay. So let's get into just the first one. So this is anything that Mason has to do. Where are my notes? Okay. So the first ritual. Uh, someone's interested in joining the Masons. He begins his initiation as an apprentice. This is the first degree. So he has to strip down to his underwear. Okay. Can't be wearing any clothes. If you have a crucifix, if you have a wedding ring, these need to be removed. Scapular. So right there, that says a lot. Scapular. Scapular, removed. Everything has to be removed. So what is that telling you? Yeah. That something higher is going on than any of those symbols. The symbols of your marriage, the symbols of your faith. No, 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 no. You need to remove all of those. Mm-hmm. Then he, the hood's placed over the head, and so you can't see. And I'll, I'll not, I won't give you all the details, but here's just some of the details. And also, a a rope is tied around your neck, and that's where you're drawn from. Okay. So, if you have to join a, if you want like some fraternity, and they tell you to strip down to your underwear, that's a little find weird. A new kind of fraternity, yeah. right? Just in general, that's a good idea. Yeah. So basically, um, what goes on this right? And we don't have a whole lot of time, so I won't go into all the details. Um, you are you go through this process of going from darkness to light. Mm-hmm. So you're being led by uh, the master mason. Um, you don't get to decide where you get to go. So this idea is that masonry is going to bring you from darkness because that's where you were in the world. Mm-hmm. So even if you're a Catholic, you aren't in the light. You were in the darkness. Mm. And now masonry is going to bring you out into the light. The mason is going to guide you. It's not going to be Christ who guides you. It's going to be the master mason. Here's something from the Masonic Bible, which states, The darkness is a symbol of ignorance, while light is a symbol of enlightenment and knowledge. It is a principle of Freemasonry that the natural eye cannot perceive the mysteries of the order until the heart has embraced the deep spiritual and mystic meanings of those sublime mysteries. So this is like super religious language. Yeah, it's like very pseudo-mystagogical stuff. Like from Catholic. Like the Catholic idea of the, you know, the secret initiation into the church and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Actually, I just read an interesting thing by St. Basil today on this, which was kind of interesting. But yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah. Um, So here's another quote, and this is um, from Albert Pike, who had a lot to do with uh, revamping um, the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, which we'll get to. He says, truth, which masonry calls light, is not for those who are unworthy or unable to receive it. The teachers of Christianity are, in general, the most ignorant of the true meaning in which they teach. Hmm. So here's the deal. The first few rites of Freemasonry, they'll be the use of Christian symbols. And as they explain them to you, and it's very mystagogical, uh, as they explain them to you, they will explain them using Christian language, and explain them in a quasi-Christian way. Right. All the way up to the first three things. So there's a lot of people who only experience the first three um, degrees. We're like, oh, no, it's, it's basically Christian. You can swear on a Bible. You can also swear on any other kind of text you want to. Um, but there's a Bible there. It's fine. The problem is when you go into the higher degrees, and even these, they have these degrees in America, on the continent, everywhere, the Scottish degrees, more and more the deeper you go, it's revealed to you that those symbols were interpreted in a Christian way just to keep people comfortable and ignorant. And as you go on, they reveal to you that, no, 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 these symbols aren't Christian. Masonry is the reason for these things. Anyway, so 
they reveal to you that these things that were interpreted as a Christian way are interpreted in a different way. All the way up until you get to the final degree mm -hmm. of the Scottish Rite. Uh, okay, the final degree, the Scottish Rite, there are three skulls. One of the skulls has a papal um, a tiara okay. on it. Okay. And so <laughs> the Grand Master stabs the skull with a dagger, and the candidate, the one receiving the degree, says, down with imposture, down with crime. Pretty explicitly anti-church, right? Yeah, like intensely. Jeez. Okay, and let's see. So later in the ritual, the grandmaster points to the tiara that has been like stabbed and says, "This represents the tiara of the cruel and cowardly pontiff who sacrificed to his ambition the illustrious order of the Knights Templar, of whom we are the true successors. A crown of gold and precious stones ill befits the humble head of one who pretends to be the successor, the vicar." Of Jesus of Nazareth. It is therefore a crown of an imposter, and it is in the name of him who said, Neither ye be called masters, that we trample it under our feet. Hmm. And so this guy, um, Albert Pike, and anyone who goes through the Scottish degrees um, of Freemasonry will still get his book, says that absolutely we allow the lesser degrees to remain in ignorance and keep their Christian understanding, but true enlightenment. Once you get all this secret knowledge, is that all of that Christian stuff is bogus. Right? It's Gnosticism. It's occult. It's quasi-sacramental. And so even if you aren't engaging in all those things, you're part of an organization that allows those things. Yeah. And that's evil. Yeah. And that you can't yeah. do it. So how did if these things are secret, how did we how did we find out about these rights? Right. Uh, so we find out about the rights because nothing's really secret, right? right? So basically... Um, like form people you know, in the order have, type uh, of thing? Various, right. So even though people are sworn to secrecy, um, these things are always going to leak out somehow. Mm -hmm. um, like we have uh, uh, Pike's book that explains the Scottish degrees. Um, it's still given to people. Now, uh, those the rights of the, the Blue Lodge masonry, I'm not sure if I know exactly what, if they've updated the rights. Uh, or made them different recently. So maybe they have, um, but it's current as far as like 20th century for sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Interesting. So has have things changed with regard to, like, with regards to the Masons and with regards to the church's stance on Masonry? Because you don't yeah. really hear about it anymore. Yeah, you don't hear about it anymore. Um, a part of it is because I mean, there's no more papal states to overthrow. Mm -hmm. Also, in the 19, uh, the new code of canon law, so in the 1917 code, it explicitly condemned Freemasonry by name. Okay. In the new code, it condemns kind of secret societies in general. Okay. Um, so it just, the laws become more universal as far as that goes. But, um, and I think, and Ed argues this in his paper, that it's still condemned by the church. So um, the Knights of Columbus are a secret society. Right, okay. But they're a secret society, but all of their rights and everything they do is known to the church. Gotcha. Right. Actually, also, interestingly, just, yeah. just so you know, yeah. I just heard this this week. They're changing their whole uh, initiation into the knights. They're, it's all going to just be one one degree now, essentially. Mm, and and your family's invited to be part of the initiation now. I think that's good because I went through the first um, three degrees and it's obvious that those older rites in in um, the Knights of Columbus 
are playing off of uh, some of the stuff in masonry. Yep. And that bothers me. And like I get like, okay, let's take this people desire to be part of a crazy cool secret club. Yep. Let's take that and let's baptize and make it for the church. Right. But still a part of me just finds that kind of eh. Yeah. I don't care for it. But it's definitely not as extreme as what happens in the Masons. And of course, this is all um, in obedience to the Pope and right. to the church and right. to everything. Right. Gotcha. So uh, uh, if they're if they're toning that down even more, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Cool. Awesome. So there's your 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 quick and dirty lessons on and why it's bad to be a mason. Essentially, why it's bad to be a mason. It's bad to be a mason. Let's just sums up. One because the church says so, and that's all you should need to know. Getting into details, it's a secret society, and no secrets should be kept from the church in that sort of way. It engages, especially in the higher ups, in occult practices. Um, the big thing for everyone is that it encourages a kind of religious indifferentism. Yeah. Uh, that. And denies that the church is the one true path to truth, yeah. knowledge, and God. And then finally, it's very, no, it's very good. anti-papal. Like it, it's oh, it's incredibly it, anti-papal, it's a, anti-church. It's attempting to undermine the papacy. Right. It's you know. Really I mean, you when you think about it, that 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 ritual of stabbing the seal with the papal tiara, yeah. All I could think about is antichrist. Oh, that's yeah. the only word that kept on popping into my head. Why oh, yeah. would you want well, to be something? Those, why those would you want to be a part of? Rights are very occult. Why would you want to be a part of demonic. something that's part of the Antichrist? Right. So you might say to yourself, "Well, I'm just doing Blue Lodge Masonry, just on my first three degrees." Mm-hmm. But you're part of a club that does those things, and not your dues as, are supporting those higher degrees, right? You're supporting those higher things, and not like there's a lot of corruption and evil that goes on by clerics, but it's not a part of what we do. It's right. not like. <laughs> It's, you know, it says in canon yeah, law. It's not like there's like a, we have secret priest meetings where we can, you know, right. where we connive about how we're actually going to undermine people's lives. That's not the way it works. Right. And if those things happen in the church, they when they find out, they get called out very quickly. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's just just to wrap this up. If you are Catholic and you've joined a Masonic club, you gotta leave. Yeah. You gotta go to your priest. You gotta confess it. Yeah. Um, depending on how high up you are, you may need to have a talk with your priest. Or bishop. Um, bishop, right? Um, and I, I'm not sure exactly how that works canonically, but your priest will be able to figure that yeah. out. Um, you may need to do some deliverance prayers and stuff if you're really high up and involved in the more occult parts mm-hmm. of it. Um, and a buddy of mine was just uh, giving me some prayers for uh, that um, that he got from Exorcist Conference. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's... It's not okay for a Catholic, and it's never been okay for a Catholic to also be a Mason. Right. Period. Interesting. Cool. Uh, before we get Tommy Ty on, I just have to, one quick thing to okay. say. I forgot to say at the beginning. I apologize for my microphone quality the last two podcasts. Uh, oh, right. The reason why, folks, I realized that my mic, I changed positions where I was recording. My microphone was backwards. Mm-hmm. So that's why it sounded echoey, because it was literally the sound bouncing off my computer screen into the microphone. So... Uh, it should be. I tested it out today. We should be okay. So I really apologize for the ba- bad sound quality. How did that feel? Knowing that there's gonna be two episodes of when you I with heard bad it, I was like, quality. "Oh, I pulled a Father Anthony." Exactly. Now you know how it feels <laughs> to totally screw up and have no way to. But fix I wasn't it. the first one to do it. No, no, and, and it's now, mercy that you can only be the second. So you're welcome. And now I make sure I test it out before I record to make sure I'm actually recording properly. There you go. All right, guys. 
Thanks for listening. Unfortunately, Tommy is in a fist fight with a Freemason right now. Oh. He's winning, but he cannot talk to us. So we'll have to get him on next week. Thanks for listening. Please review us on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. We got a review from a Vic Zangari, who has a special review, especially for Nick Sharapa. He posted this on iTunes. Heck yes, Papa Sharapa. You go, layman. Keep promoting the proper presentation of the church brand. All or nothing. You are, in fact, spectacular. That's my brother in Christ. You go, producer Nick. So there you go, awesome. producer Nick. Someone reviewed our podcast and just said compliments for you. Nice. So even producer Nick gets good compliments from our reviews. Awesome. You can find me at Father Sharapa on Twitter. You can find me at Fr Harrison. You can contact the podcast or receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.